Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and my co-host... I'm Jason Harris, comedian, filmmaker, interloper. Ooh, that's... that's are you, like, going to scare people I'm or something? I'm going to places I shouldn't be, and then I'm going to express my opinions there and make my presence known. All right. Well, this is a place I, that's really creepy sounding. This is a place where you should be and you should express your opinion. And even more so because in this season, we're looking back at the films of 2007. And this episode is about Jason's personal pick, which is what? It's Juno. Yeah. I like this movie so much. I named my dog after it. That's, I have a dog named Juno. You do indeed. That was one of my uh, important points to bring up in this episode. Ah, everybody should know the, uh, the big, the big things about the movie, you know, the Oscar nods and how much money it made and what my dog's name is. So yeah. I, I feel good about it. Of equal importance. Yes. Uh, Juno's going to like me one of these days. <laughs> my, my dog, he's talking about my dog, not the film. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, Dave met my dog and she barked and you know, the, it used to be people thought my dog was racist because it would bark at, uh, you know, different minorities. But as it turns out, my dog like me, hates people of all backgrounds. All right. Well, that's a good way to start well, this episode. Because it doesn't matter what your background is. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, I, everyone uh, is equally terrible. I will hate you based on your personality. All I right. don't care about your background. Yeah, so. that's, that's great. All right. Such an upbeat <laughs> beginning to this really lovely, fun movie yeah. um, that, that you picked because you're such a lovely, fun person. I like. This is a lovely, fun movie, yeah. isn't it? You know, a lot of... A lot of moldy peaches in the background there. Upbeat indie pop going for you. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, really uh, punchy dialogue. Very, very punchy. You know? Yeah. Some, uh, some good indie filmmaking techniques from the director. There's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on here with Juno. Uh, it premiered at the 2007 Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, is another... We were, um, we've talked about a few of these, I think, with indie films. It had a small budget of $6.5 million, made $231.4 million at the box office. So it was a massive box office hit. It basically made its money back in 20 days, and 19 of those days were limited release days. So yeah. on its first wide release date, it made its money back. And uh, do you have the Ebert? I know you love quoting Ebert. Do you have his quote from the Toronto premiere? Uh, I have an Ebert quote, but I don't know if it's from the Toronto premiere. I think is it the one he talks about at the premiere? He says like something like, he doesn't remember a standing ovation of such sustained length and warmth for a film. So people love this movie, right? From the yeah, jump. they really did. And I think it's easy to forget now how big a deal this movie was, uh, not just for Oscars and whatever, but it was like this cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it really was. I mean, dude, the soundtrack, right? Like kept, you know, now if you were like, hey, a soundtrack's going to become number one in its third week of release after, be like, what are you talking about? Music's dead. Let's move on. <laughs> Taylor Swift's rules everything. But yes. Yeah, no, this became uh, this became a very big deal that was uh, in the zeitgeist and, uh, you know, had its backlash because of that as well. Yeah, there was that too. Uh, but before the backlash, or maybe amidst the backlash, uh, it was nominated for four Oscars, uh, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Ellen Page, Best Director for Jason Reitman, and Best Original Screenplay for Diablo Cody, which she won for her first ever screenplay. And, you know, should she have won for Jennifer's Body? 
Debatable. No. Okay, no. no. I'm going to answer that right now, and the answer to that is no. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. No, she's been so up and down, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in the legacy section. Like, yeah. She's done at least one other amazing piece of work with Jason Reitman and uh, one other horrible piece of work with Jason Reitman. Uh, we will talk about that. But yeah, she, she herself was, I mean, so many of the people involved in this movie were all becoming pop culture sensations as right. it came out. You know, she was known as a blogger. She had written a memoir. And now she was such a personality uh, as a writer, but also as just kind of a pop culture presence. Yeah, Reitman as well, right? We uh, we all like, thank you for smoking. Great, yeah. great little indie flick. And he had to campaign to get this movie, to direct this movie, you know? Um, and the guys that he beat out, you don't really hear about anymore, you know? Um, as far as being directors. Oh, yeah. It was like the dude who did Charlie Bartlett or something like that. Oh, yeah. I remember that movie vaguely. <laughs> exactly. And then there and was... the dude who directed it, who was the director of it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but but he uh, he won. He won. He did it. And, uh, you know, he's you. I really thought after this, man. And then uh, up in the air, it's like, man, this is this is maybe the auteur of the generation. And then. Yeah. Uh, nope. He's also up and down, let's say, like Diablo Cody. Um, Ellen Page, too, had not done a whole lot. She did Hard Candy before this, which got her a bit of buzz, but she was really not very well known and just massively broke out with this film. Even Michael Cera, I think, I mean, probably the most well-known of those, of those four, but still, this was a signature role for him. Um, other award-wise, this movie also at the Independent Spirit Awards won Best Feature, Best Female Lead for Ellen Page, and best best first screenplay for Diablo Cody. Um, and I just thought this was funny. At the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and it lost. Did you look this up? Yeah, go ahead, though. To Sweeney Todd. Right, right. Which is just baffling. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. I mean, maybe you don't think Juno was the best movie, musical, or comedy of 2007, but was Sweeney Todd... You know what else is weird? It did win a Grammy in 2009. I don't know how these Grammys yeah, work Yeah, they have anymore. weird eligibility periods for the Grammys. Best what? compilation soundtrack. All right. It did have uh, quite a popular soundtrack. It was very well-reviewed. It has a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And as you said, Roger Ebert loved it. He uh, named it the best movie of 2007. And you mentioned what he said at Toronto. Uh, this is from, I think, his, his review when the movie came out uh, in regular release in theaters. Um, but he does also talk about that experience. He says, It is so very rare to sit with an audience that leans forward with delight and is in step with every turn and surprise of an uncommonly intelligent screenplay. It is so rare to hear laughter that is surprised, unexpected, and delighted. So rare to hear it coming during moments of recognition when characters reflect exactly what we'd be thinking just a moment before we get around to thinking it. So rare to feel the audience joined in one warm, shared enjoyment. So rare to hear a movie applauded. He just went nuts for this movie. Yeah, it was his number one movie of the year that yes. year. And uh, I do think that must have been from the Toronto Review and everything. Yeah, um, but yeah, he, he just loved it. And I think that speaks to... Obviously, Roger uh, Ebert, you know, middle-aged Roger Ebert was not necessarily the target audience for this movie, but it did a really good job of reaching a whole range of people. Yeah, it, it totally did. Yeah. Dana Stevens in Slate said, uh, Juno is a wildly appealing heroine, a bright, tart-tongued girl with a self-possession beyond her years. 
But what saves her and the movie from foundering in a sea of snark is Juno's slow realization that brains, wit, and good taste in music aren't enough to get her through an experience as life-shaking as pregnancy. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the good things here too, is that it starts out with this very like stylized dialogue and you think it's just going to be this snarky comedy. And there's a lot of real genuine emotion in this movie. And I think uh, I actually watched this movie twice in two days on this run Wow, because I couldn't figure out how much I liked it. So I had to watch <laughs> it again. But you know, one of those reasons is because that first scene where uh, after the credits, which the credits are awesome. The road is yeah, credits. Yes, they are. Reitman used to be amazing at opening credits. Yeah. So, um, and then they, you know, he, she goes into the, convenience store where she's um pretty much trying to give herself an abortion by drinking all that sunny d or no, she's just trying to pee so that she can take her pregnancy test no that's a homemade way of like getting Dr- rid drinking of sunny delight is Dr- i think like drinking orange juice or something Oh, okay i totally missed that uh connection there. yeah but uh anyway there's that scene with her and the clerk is rain wilson and that is the most heightened yeah dialogue yeah. in the whole movie and i that one I probably liked it in 2007. Upon rewatching, I was like, man, this just doesn't feel like I I think once we get out of that sequence, like the movie becomes better. And I could see why that scene was so famous um, that that was probably part of the backlash against. it. Right. Yes. And that is a perfect segue into uh, a negative review uh, that I got here from David Edelstein in New York magazine, who said, Uh, Maybe they're just desperate to make their film a chick Rushmore or Garden State, a movie that confers hipness on teens, that makes kids want to use the same slang and snap up the soundtrack and buy the vintage Japanese comics and rent the hack-em-up DVDs it references. The filmmakers even lucked into the male lead, Michael Cera, of Superbad. Only here he's a whiny cipher. The relentlessly jokey banter of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is taken to a screechy new level. Every character's wisecracks come from the same place, like in Bad Neil Simon. Oh, you sound like you have such a good sense of humor, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't agree, but I thought it was interesting to, to kind of throw in that perspective. Because I can see how if you're not on board with the stylized dialogue, you would just hate this Yeah, movie. the ship goes down fast and it sinks <laughs> the whole way, you know. I can see that. I honestly don't hate that uh, review. I, I just... I like the movie more than that. Yes. So. No, I agree. Uh, but I think you can you can certainly look at it that way. And and I have seen other movies which have similar kind of stylized writing that just drives me crazy and I can't yeah. stand. Like what? Like David Mamet movies, for example. I, I can't stand David Mamet. David Mamet is the voice of uh young single teenage right. pregnant. Well, yeah, everywhere. not not that <laughs> aspect, but just the 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 very artificial sounding dialogue that's that's delivered in a kind of artificial sounding way and that's the point and uh in that context it just doesn't work for me when did you first see this movie i don't remember i honestly don't remember i gotta feel like i must have seen it in the theater because it was such a big deal and uh, i remember like that i was you know just a few years into stand-up comedy hanging out with a lot of hipsters and this was like about the time when hipsters became and that had nothing to do with stand-up comedy but like that was just the scene i was in but like this 2007 was probably the time where hipsterism was becoming mainstream right you know so sure. i'm guessing like i heard about it at like a bar and people were like the moldy peaches and the soundtrack and like you gotta see it and i i probably went and saw it but yeah uh, you were such a sheep <laughs> yeah i'm a sheep like when people say you should go do something that you'll enjoy i'll be like yeah i should i'm gonna do that yeah because i like enjoying things yeah so. what a what a lame-o <laughs> fair <laughs> fair 
But uh, I don't remember when I first saw it. I just know I've seen it a bunch. Yeah. Um, I looked this up and I did first see it at a, at a press screening. I was doing film reviews at the time and wrote a nice positive review of it. I remember having really liked Thank You for Smoking. So I was yeah, excited about movie. seeing what Jason Reitman was going to do next. Of course, I didn't know anything at the time about Diablo Cody. I'd also seen Ellen Page and Hard Candy. So I think I was looking forward to that uh, aspect as well. And, you know, I was looking because I, I, I read my review, which was generally very positive. Um, and I was wondering, oh, did I put this on my top 10 list for 2007? And I did not. But I think it probably came close to it. Do you think if you were to regrade now, it would, would you give it four stars back? I then? gave it three and a half stars and, and, uh, you know, spoiler for our later rating, I'd probably do the same, but, um, but I like it. I mean, and, and I'm stingy with the stars. So oftentimes my top 10 list for a year includes a lot of movies that I gave three and a half stars. So looking at that list, um, I can't remember everything else that was on it, but I think there are probably some things that I would think now, like, well, that probably wasn't as good as Juno. When was the last time you saw it, Dave? Uh, you know, it's funny you said about how you don't remember if you saw it in the theater or at home first, but I, I don't remember either. I don't know why that I have that block, but, uh, I definitely saw it around the time it came out, you know, did that's you, the last time. Did you, uh, so you didn't watch it in anticipation I, for you this podcast? You probably could have imagined that. No, I did not. Yeah. Jason watched it twice. So he watched I, it <laughs> once for him and once for you. Thank but, you, Jason. But that, but you know, that goes back to those reviews that you were mentioning. I, I like, I watched it and I was like, man, I think I like this movie. And then I watched it again and I was like, yeah, I do like this movie. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good perspective to have. And we'll come back and talk more about how much Jason did or did not like this movie. And you too. And me too when we return. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2007, we're talking about Jason's personal pick, Juno. Yeah, and I think I picked this because, um, you know, as a, as a wannabe indie filmmaker who's a huge failure at life. <laughs> Just a real loser. Just so many dark things coming up in this episode. Just, you can just picture this whole podcast stopping right now. It's just done. Just a, just a garbage monster, if you will. A waste. Um, I really love this movie back when it happened. And I said, this could be an inspiration to me to go out and achieve a dream of my own. And, and here we are, Josh. Your dream has come true because you have a podcast. <laughs> Talking about it. Dave's side room, <laughs> not even an air conditioner, just a ceiling fan and a wall of CDs behind us. So it's a good movie, though. <laughs> it is a good movie. I liked it. I, I quite enjoyed it. And uh, I just think it was probably like when we talked about Clerks in season one, this was probably a movie that inspired a lot of people to uh, go after their filmmaking uh, aspirations. Yeah, well, I mean, even the like behind the scenes, the element of of Diablo Cody and how this ended up happening, where she was uh, just a nobody. Essentially, she wrote a blog that caught on online, and then she got a book deal, and then she wrote a screenplay. And even this was a screenplay that she wrote, not expecting it to get a, get produced. This was right. a screenplay that she wrote as a sample in order to get hired to write something else. Just in coffee shops, chilling out, yeah. hanging out, doing all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's weird how that all comes together sometimes, right? Yeah, it is. Um, 
but even even that aside, I mean, this is just a fun, if you if you don't know any of that, it's a fun movie to watch. Uh, if people haven't seen it, Ellen Page plays Juno McGuff, the 16 year old snarky teenager who finds herself pregnant via her. I don't know, can we call him her boyfriend? He he would like to believe so yeah. at some point in time, right? Yeah. Her friend and bandmate, uh, Polly Bleeker, played by Michael Cera. And she decides that she's going to give the kid up for adoption and give it to this lovely couple played by Jennifer Garner and Jason. Right. Bateman. But first she's going to get an abortion, which they talk about very casually. And I thought that was a good sequence right away um, where she and her friend Elizabeth, uh, Olivia Thurlby, right? Yeah. Olivia Thurlby is great in this movie and is someone that I always think yeah. should have been bigger. Yeah. I agree. The whackness. Come on, bro. Yes, I do like the whackness. Yeah. A lot. So, um, yeah, so they're just like, ah, are you going to take care of it? You know, where are you going to go? You know, this place or women now? And she's like, oh, I guess I'll go to women now because I help women now. <laughs> right. You know, so that was fun. So she goes to get the abortion and one of her classmates is protesting and uh, can't phase Juno until she says, you know, the baby has fingernails and that, which I love. It's such a minute detail, but so specific that that's the one where she's like, yeah, no, I'm going to I'm going to give birth and give this baby up. Yeah. And uh, as opposed to seeking out various families like North did. <laughs> oh, man. Bring it back to North. Call back to season one. Um, no, she just she finds the couple she wants. And therein lies our uh, all of our pivotal relationships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I like the way it treats abortion. That was a huge controversy about this movie at the time and kind of going forward. But I think it balances things really well that it's not saying that abortion is bad or that no one should have an abortion. It's giving Juno as a character, as a specific person, her own choice that she makes based on her own personality. And it was kind of adopted, no pun intended, <laughs> by both uh, pro anti and anti-abortion groups. And Reitman had said, like, you know, it's good that everyone can feel like they own this movie. But, uh, and you know, this goes when we talk about the legacy later, one of the things is Diablo Cody re recently said, based on all these new, uh, very strict anti-abortion laws in like Georgia and uh, Alabama, that she would not have written this script at this point in time. Right. Although I don't think she's saying that the script or the movie itself is that she regrets it or is ashamed of it, just that she wouldn't want to try and insert anything into that current debate. Right. I, well, she does say that, you know, it shouldn't be read as anti-abortion. Right. It's about uh, a pro-choice uh, decision made by a young woman. And that she, I think what she's saying is she might kind of pepper that in a little more. If right. This was to be done today. Right. But I do think that comes across. I don't think this movie seems like it's anti-abortion. I Part of being pro-choice is being in favor of choice and being able to make whichever choice you think is best for yourself. Well, I agree with you, but yeah. there are a bunch of crazies out there who uh, want to take it over and, and move it all the way to the alt of their uh, righteousness. Yes, that is true. But uh, let's talk about other aspects of <laughs> the just, movie. I'm going to own it. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's, that's absolutely true. And this is a movie that, that people want to claim uh, maybe counter to the wishes of the people who made it. Um, but I mean, when she makes that choice, like you said, the real crux of the movie, the emotional center is her relationship with this couple that she wants to give the baby to. And that seems so perfect at first. And then she realizes over time that there's, they're, they're human, just like she is. Everyone in this movie is flawed. 
no one in this movie is a perfect parent or uh, a perfect partner, but ultimately things do work out. I think one of the reasons it succeeded so well is because you see Juno's relationship with everyone. That's how kind of you learn about all the characters in their relationship through Juno and uh, all of those elements where you see the depth of the characters, uh, she has something to do with. So I agree with you. I'm glad that they didn't, they didn't end up being the perfect couple or, you know, um, Juno wasn't in the perfect high school relationship or anything like that. All of those things, which Diablo Cody said, a lot of it was based on her own high school experience. Uh, you know, those all played a part in making this movie as good as it was. Yeah, I think and watching this movie again, I didn't remember all the details. And when we get to the point where Jason Bateman's character is, you know, maybe putting the moves on Juno a little bit, even though she's basically oblivious to it. I was worried. I thought, oh, God, where do they go with this? And this is very uncomfortable. But I feel like they handle it really well. And it's not about this creepy middle aged dude uh, hooking up with a teenager. It's about him kind of being lost and grasping for this thing that's clearly not appropriate. And she understands that. I agree with you. I didn't get as much of the feeling that he was putting the moves on her as you might have. Like, I guess there's some, there are some unsaid things in their relationship. You know, they're both flirtatious with one another throughout. And, uh, but I never got the feeling like that he was really putting the moves on her. I do think it was interesting. Like you said, like, there was no, you know, hitting you over the head one way or the other with it. But after he said he was going to leave Vanessa um, and Juno's like, no, you have to stay with her. You know, this has to be the perfect situation. And he says, you know, how do you see me? You know, he, you know, right. You know, because she calls him old. He's like, how do you see me? Why are you over here all the time? Right. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I think to me that indicates that he thinks maybe she's into him and that he himself like and he's definitely into her. He looks at her as like the kind of person he should be with rather than Vanessa, Jennifer Garner's character, this, this kind of really composed suburban wife and mom. And even though he doesn't want to have a kid, so maybe he doesn't really want to be in a relationship with Juno, but he's on her maturity level or he kind of sees himself that way. Whereas she sees him as a kind of adult mentor figure, just like her dad. Right. I think it's maybe, is it fair to say it's less about him wanting her and more about him wanting to recapture some piece of lost youth there? Yeah, I think maybe she represents that to him. That, again, he wants to be with someone like her, even if it's not her specifically, but she's the one who's there. Yeah, uh, again, I'm glad they didn't go that way. And, like, you know, no one got uh, no one got inappropriate, I don't think, with each other in this film. Right, no, no, I mean, I agree. I'm glad that it didn't go any further than that, and I think it's a good way of illustrating that as a character, he's kind of immature or he's definitely not in a place in his life where he can start a family and have a child, which clearly is where Jennifer Garner is and what she wants and and will be very good at, as we see in those scenes where Juno kind of observes her from afar in the mall and realizes she is really cut out to be a mother. And that's some of the best scenes in the movie is like kind of seeing Vanessa through Juno's perspective and, you know, just kind of uh, what a relief it is for her that you know, she is going to have this baby and it's going to end up uh, with good parents or in this case, a good parent. A good parent. Know, yeah. So. But, um, you know, she tells Bateman, she's like, you know, um, hey, you know, you can have this baby and things will just be better for you guys. And like, 
that, you know, as mature as she is for 16, that shows a level of immaturity or not even immaturity, like naivety, naivety yeah, right? You yeah. know, a lack of uh, uh, worldly understanding, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, she presents herself as this very mature person in the way that she speaks and the way that she's acting towards Jason Bateman in that she's like, oh yeah, I'll educate you about music, which is kind of laughable because not only he's older than her, but I, I love how her big discovery that she's showing him is uh, all the young dudes by Mata Hoople, which is an extremely famous song. Right. I wrote that down. Like Jason Bateman is a composer. Like he composes jingles, but he clear, and he was, it used to be in a rock band. It's like, why wouldn't this character know all the young dudes? Well, he does know it. I mean, as soon as she plays it for him, he's like, Oh, I know this song. I danced yeah, I it know. at my prom. But it's so weird that she would think that he wouldn't know it. Right. Know, so. Well, again, because she has, like you were saying this, this sense of herself as being mature when really maybe she's not right. entirely. And she does like, you know, she is like that. I'm 16 and I like punk music. My three favorites are the Stooges, Patti Smith and the Runaways. Right. And it's like, we're scrap. We're really, you know, look, I like all those acts, especially Iggy, but like, we're not really digging deep here, you know? So. Right. Um, and the other thing is I thought that moment was, uh, and if we're going to talk about the backlash again, about trying to be too cool, right? Like, uh, when she says those are her three favorites, Reitman decides to insert black and white photos there. Yeah, and it's, it's a like, little much, maybe. Yeah, it's like, okay, you, you like just talking about them is not enough. Now we have to show, like, look at how cool these people were on stage. You right, know? right. Um, which we don't do throughout the film a lot, so if ever. I yeah, know, and I think so. that's the only thing. And even when they're watching, like, the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie that that he shows her, I don't know if we ever see any, the, maybe a brief clip of that. Yeah. The, um, the horror film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, 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 you could argue to give Reitman credit that that is part of an illustration of Juno's sense of herself as being super cool. And maybe she really isn't that cool. And she has to kind of learn. And that's a big I mean, we were saying her relationship with the couple is the emotional center of the movie. But I think as much as that is her relationship with Bleecker and she has to learn to appreciate him and to see him as a person who has as much emotional investment in this pregnancy as she does and that she's kind of dismissed throughout the film. And that's a really sweet relationship. It is a sweet relationship. I do think they've played it a different way, like because he's so, um, I don't know if I want to say laid back or just accepting of whatever she's going to do, but he never really makes his case for like, Hey, I want to be more involved with what's going on here. Um, but he is very supportive and um, yeah, he's Michael Sarah, man, just, just killing the game at this point in time. Dude. Yeah. He's very good at playing the Michael Sarah character yeah. and that's very much what this character is. But I think, I mean, you're right. He doesn't assert himself, but that's part of the character that he's just so bowled over by her in general. I mean, even before she gets pregnant, he's just in awe of her at all times and she takes it for granted. Right. She does. Um, Going back to uh, the Bateman reveal that he's leaving Vanessa and everything, I thought maybe my favorite scene uh, or my favorite part of Ellen Page's performance was when she's driving home after that and she has to pull over on the side of the road and like the gravity of everything falls on her and she's like, this isn't going to work out the way I wanted. How, how can I fix this or th how can this work at all? And she's just crying in the car by herself and then she has that kind of like, all right, it's time to go on, which was not a scene that was originally supposed to be in the movie. They just ended up shooting it. And I thought that was one of the most effective scenes in there. 
Yeah, and that's a scene with no dialogue. And this is a movie that's really all about the dialogue that people remember that the most. But her performance is so good that she can she can deliver all those tortured kind of mouthful lines really effectively, but she can also get you into that emotional life of that character without saying anything. And you see just like all these like different levels of her and who she is like in every aspect of that relationship with uh, Bateman and Garner Vanessa and what's his name? The character, Jason Bateman. No, the character's name. (laughs) I don't remember. All right. Well, anyway, like, you know, they're the first time she meets them, like, they have their like attorney there to like kind of work on the paper. Yeah, I remember her name was wasn't it Gerta or something? It's Gerta Rouse, and like the yeah. first thing she just does is like, and she and this is our attorney, Gerta Rouse, and Juno just goes, Gerta Rouse, like yeah. you would as a teenager. Like <laughs> right. really funny stuff there, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a very funny movie. I mean, we're talking a lot about the heavy emotions of it, but especially in that early going, like the it's funny. Oh yeah. I mean, and the way they work. Uh, the trimesters as different seasons is great, you know. So trimester two is uh, is winter, right? And the way that sequence opens is you see Michael Sarah running because the track team is a big deal in this. And one of his teammates is like, "Hey, did you hear Juno's pregnant?" He's like, "Yeah, I heard something about that." And he goes, "Oh, did you hear it's yours?" Like, yeah, such a cool little like high school line, right? Right. Yeah, there's great high school stuff in this. The the dynamics are, are very funny. And and Michael Cera, as you're saying, he's always funny. He's great at underplaying things. That's kind of his thing. Um, and uh, and Juno's parents, who we haven't mentioned yet, J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney, very entertaining and, and a very good balance of the humor and the emotions that we see how much they care about her. They're both so sweet and loving. And they both went on to win Oscars for being complete dickheads. Later <laughs> that is on true. Later. That's a good point. Yeah, because they're both great actors who are incredibly versatile. And you know, it took Allison Janney a few more years to kind of catch on, but I feel like this was the one that kind of jumped J.K. Simmons to the next level. Yeah, it might be. I'm not sure what else he was doing around this time, but I mean, he's always been like a great character actor. I mean, he shows up in so many things. And he's in plenty of movies that maybe aren't very good, but you know he's going to be yeah. a highlight of whatever it is. By the way, Bateman's character is Mark. Thank you, Dave, for looking that up. Oh, wait, I had to do it on my own while I'm doing this podcast. Well, Dave, you, I can't you, carry everything. You, you succeeded. I didn't think it was the most important detail, but <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> Ugh, why do we even have him here, Josh? There are so many good reasons. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, every performance in this movie is really good. We mentioned Olivia Thurlby a little... She's great as the supportive friend. And she initially auditioned to play Juno. Right. And I'm sure she would have been great as Juno. She's a really good actress who never gets her due. And she just provides exactly the right thing at every moment that she's in this movie. Yeah, I know she's doing some TV here and there. But like, man, I'd love to see her, you know, as a romantic lead in something. Yeah, I would, too. We talked about the whackness. That's probably the biggest. So good. Then. Yeah, it is a really, really good movie. Um. Uh, well, one thing we got to talk about is the soundtrack. You know, yeah, the moldy peaches, Kimya Dawson. Yeah, the, um, the the hipsters that you met in the bar told you about. <laughs> right, I don't know music on my own. I need I need hipster. Even though I wrote about music for you know the same magazine you write for for almost a decade, I only know what hipsters tell well, me. Well, that's what you wrote about. It's just what did hipsters say this week about music? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my column. Yeah, what hipsters said to me right. this week. So. so okay, so fair enough. Had you heard the moldy peaches before this movie? No comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, um, you know, the, the music is so essential. And um, 
I think the lyrics are simple in their own way, where it's just, just like, let's find a rhyme that matches the emotion here. And right. Then we see, you know, they, they, in one scene that, you know, Bleaker says to Juno, like, hey, we can get the band back together when this is done. And then maybe we can get back together too. And, uh, you know, she never kind of references the band again. And she's like, oh, were, were we together? You know, and they right. go like that. But then the last scene is that awesome scene where they're playing that Moldy Peaches song together. And you kind of, and they're, we know they're together at that point in time. As, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was great. That was a great way to end the movie. Yeah, it is. And you see how good their relationship is. You know, not only they perform together, they play the music together. She kind of gives him a little kiss. You can tell that, the dynamic that they have, which is throughout the movie, even when they're not romantically together, you can tell how in sync and connected they are. And they finally have embraced that. One of the things I was reading about that scene is like, that was a bit of movie magic where they thought they were going to have to uh, shut down for a few months. Cause this whole thing was shot in Vancouver and um, it's supposed to take place in Minnesota, Minnesota, but this totally feels Pacific Northwest to me, man. This doesn't, this feels like a movie that takes place in Portland or Seattle or Vancouver, right? You yeah. Know? Um, the scenery and and the environment and everything. And uh, so this was, you know, cold, rainy season, and they just happened to catch a perfect day of sunlight. So they were able to shoot this um, during the regular schedule as opposed to coming back to it a few months later. Yeah. And it is a really, it's a really nice way to end. Um, and I think it emphasizes, again, that that the relationship between Juno and Bleecker is the one that the movie is most invested in. It doesn't end on Jennifer Garner with the baby. It ends on the two of them. Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, like, and that's what's so funny is because you would think like maybe she's going to see her baby and be like, I knew I had to be a part of this child's life, but she even refuses to see the baby at that point in time. Right? Yeah, and I think that's a good way that this movie follows through with its kind of convictions that even though she doesn't get the abortion, she says, I'm going to give this baby up. I'm not ready to be a mother. I don't want to have an open adoption. I, I can't be part of this child's life. And she sticks with that because that is the right choice for her. Yeah. I like, I like that. I mean, there's so much good stuff in this whole, this whole thing. There's um, a great revealing shot of Bateman when Vanessa and Juno are talking and you're kind of uh, seeing him, over their shoulders and it's like a dirty close on him and you could just see like he's in over his head with that and um at one point Vanessa tells Juno that she should probably go home because her parents are worried about her most likely and she goes ah, I'm already pregnant what other shenanigans yeah. can I get into you know yeah there's great stuff I mean you know should we talk more about the dialogue that was really the thing that everyone was talking about with this movie and like you're saying it opens with that scene in the um uh, the pharmacy, the drugstore with Rain Wilson, and right away you're like, "Whoa, this is definitely a different way of speaking." Right, and I think that scene doesn't hold up as compared to the rest of the movie because not everything is as heightened as that scene. We never see this character again, and um, that felt the least real of all the dialogue to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. We definitely don't see Rain Wilson again. But I thought that that scene is a good way to introduce you to the movie because right away it's like, this is the, what kind of movie this is. This is what you're in for. And you're either in it or you're not. And I definitely was. And um, one thing that I noticed that I mentioned in my initial review about it is that even though 
the dialogue is so stylized. And I think one of the complaints from people who didn't like this movie is that it sounds fake or artificial or whatever. But for a lot of people, being a teenager is about putting on an affectation, is about presenting yourself in a certain deliberate way. And talking like that is one of those things. I think that's a great point. And then, you know, even, you know, there's that scene with her and J.K. Simmons where she's just like, can can two people be in love for the long haul? And you see that whole idea of like the facade being let down a little more. But I totally agree with you. When you're 16, you're trying to figure out who you are. You're trying to be cool, you know, and um, you do uh, stylize yourself, whether it's in your mind or your your outfits or, you know, the way you're talking at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and Juno is obviously... I mean, you can see it externally that she's doing that, but she's not the only one. There's that great scene towards the end when she's talking to Bleeker and she says, you're so cool and you don't even try. And yeah. he says, I try really, really hard. And he's just yeah. kind of approaching it in time. a different way. But yeah, that's they're both doing that. I agree. Uh, good movie. Like I said, uh, there is a quote from Sarah where he talks about the fact that there's a lot of Canadian influence besides being shot in Vancouver all three of the main characters, uh, well, uh, Reitman, Paige, and Sarah are all Canadian. I think isn't, is Jason Bateman? No, maybe not. But yeah, you're right. All of the rest of them are, yeah. It feels so, I just, yeah, that's like, that's just one, such a minor sticking point to me, but like, that feels like Vancouver to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it has a kind of Canadian sensibility in its yeah. niceness. And the and, humor too. Yeah, I mean, even though there's conflict and and Mark, is kind of a douche at times. Really, this is a movie about a bunch of people that we really like kind of coming around to doing the right thing. And that's nice. And, you know, I would even argue, is he a douche? Wouldn't it have been worse if he stuck in that situation, didn't want to be a parent and like didn't, you know, put his heart into this, you know? Well, that's true. But in the way he treats Juno and like we were talking about before, his kind of semi skeezy come on to her where she shuts him down and he doesn't pursue it but if she had been open to it you kind of wonder what sort of behavior would he have followed through with and i definitely think of all the characters in the movie he's the one who comes off the least positive yeah that's fair yeah i'll agree with that yeah um you know she's she says to him like he says he writes jingle like more commercial stuff she says like what and he goes commercials right <laughs> So fun dialogue. Like yeah, that. he's really still, he's clearly a bit, a bit of a self-loathing guy. Um, Did you know that uh, Ellen Page was the reason that all those Moldy Peaches songs were in there? Like, I did see that. Yeah. That they were going to have Juno be a, a fan of some, I can't remember what else, but something different. And she introduced Brightman to the Moldy Peaches. Yeah. Maybe she introduced him to all the young dudes. <laughs> yes. No one else would have heard of that movie yeah. or that song otherwise. Um, yeah. Any other uh, important aspects of this movie that you want to highlight that made it your personal choice? I just think it was so different than anything else that had come out at that point in time. And, you know, we've covered bomb back and, um, you know, I love Wes Anderson. You don't, although you got to admit that Michael Sarah intro segment is very Wes Anderson. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of that stylization and the way that it looks and the kind of symmetry of the way the track team is dressed and things like that. It's interesting. Cause I know we're going to get into legacy next, but, you almost felt like this was that next guy, right? You know, that... Reitman or Sarah? Reitman. Yeah. Right? To go in that Wes Anderson, Bombac, uh, Reitman, you know, kind of like young filmmakers, auteurs who are have something to say in their own special way. And yeah. then, uh, man, 
it's just been so up and down since then. it has been up and down but there have been other ups so um out of I feel like this is the second movie in this season Babies? where I'm going to ask you out of out of fetuses. Yeah, because what was that? Uh, uh, four months, three yeah. weeks, and two days. I was going to suggest uh, cheeseburger phones. Hamburger phones. Oh, yeah. the cheeseburger phone. Yeah, okay. That's that's less uh, horrifying. Yeah. So out of five. This isn't a fetus. This is a fully born child. Well, eventually it is. Yeah. It starts as a fetus. Um, as all children do, Josh. Do they? Yes. Yes, yes. They do. Uh, <laughs> out, of, out of five hamburger phones. Three and a half for me. Only three and a half for you. Three and a half. I probably dropped it from four and a half or four to three and a half. Wow. Okay. From original viewing to now. Still, I like it. I'd watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I like it too. Um, as I said earlier, I gave it a three and a half uh, out of five review when I wrote about it initially. And I'm going to stick with that. But it's a good movie. I feel like despite the backlash and the hype and all of the, the cycle of it, it, it holds up now. It really does. I think so. I'm so fascinated by the idea of that that negative review they mentioned garden state right which right. was such a huge deal when it came out and then it also had that huge backlash against it yeah and i wonder i like movies like this that are so of that moment that you go back and like does it hold up the way it did and i think we lose a little here but for the most part it holds up and i i wonder about garden state yeah you know? i do too and i haven't seen it since it Came out, but I have a feeling it might not hold up as well as Juno does. Well, that will have to be 2004, maybe. I don't 2004. Remember. We'll awesome get to, we'll year. get to it eventually. Um, but we'll come back yep. now and talk a little more about the legacy of Juno. Hey, I'm Danny. And I'm Jazz. And together we are the Feature Podcast, where we talk about movies and everyday life. Be sure to listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes Podcast Network. And be sure to follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at The Feature Show. And Facebook, it's The Feature Show with backslash Danny and Jazz. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this season on the films of 2007, we are talking in this episode about Jason's personal pick, Juno. And the most important thing, as we said earlier, about the legacy of Juno My dog, is dude. your dog. Yeah. Are you bummed that, uh, you know, we went to high school together, as the uh, audience knows. Are you bummed we didn't have any uh, pregnant students in our high school? Because that would have been a fun talking point. I mean... I, that's a weird way to put it. <laughs> Am I bummed that none of my classmates ruined their lives by Maybe getting pregnant as lives. a teenager? They might not have ruined their lives. So. Yeah, no, I, you know, I can't say that's something that ever crossed my mind. Hmm. It just seems like, you know, every high school has like that one pregnant Okay, person. okay, but but who specifically <laughs> yeah. do you want to have uh, right Yeah, now? no, yeah, let's, give us the let's just let's just cut I'm all just of saying, this off. Every every high school usually has that one pregnant person and like, uh, so and so's pregnant is having the baby. What what what? Yeah, or maybe Dave, maybe the question is who in our high school do you think secretly had an abortion? You know? Oh my <laughs> god. Don't <laughs> just stop. Completely. What are you talking about? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these choices. I'm just saying it yeah, might have been nice to go just to high speculate school. Speculate on someone's private life who we haven't seen in twenty five years. Yeah, I think, you know, if we ever have a reunion, these are questions that'll definitely be brought up, you know. So um I just think it would have been fun to 
have at least one person there who is pregnant. Well, we went to like a fancy private school. I feel like if any of our classmates were pregnant, they they would have been discreetly withdrawn from weekend, classes. Uh, a weekend trip to Malibu. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Let's talk about your dog more. Hey, you know what? If we're going to talk about the legacy, we could talk about the Juno effect. Do you remember the Juno yeah, effect? Yeah, I, I read up on this and I didn't want to include it, but you can talk about it. Yeah, there was this whole thing where... Uh, 17 students under the age of 16 in Gloucester, Massachusetts got pregnant. And they said it was because uh, Juno made the movie, you know, the movie made pregnancy look so cool. And it was clearly disproven that it was. Yeah, it's it's all bullshit. And the or the idea that teen pregnancy overall went up after this movie. It's it's all not true. I know. But the Juno effects a good band name of teenage pregnant women playing music of anybody playing music. But sure, we could have. You know, again, I'm saying you make your choice, but yeah. you know, the music, uh, the music is important, right? I mean, I do think that that points to the big pop could be pop a moldy culture. peaches cover, cover band. band. <laughs> yeah. Juno um, it points to the big pop culture impact that this movie had. That even something like that, when that happened, that clearly didn't have anything to do with this movie. The movie was so prevalent that somebody decided to blame it on this movie. Yeah, that's that's part of it, and. Um, maybe part of the indie singer songwriter, you know, boom of that time could also be blamed on this film. I mean, I think that's more justified that Moldy Peaches certainly got a lot of attention out of this movie, even though they were broken up, I think, by the time the movie came out and they reunited a little bit for this film. And Kimya Dawson has gone on to do a lot more solo stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, um, I, I, uh, yeah, you're right. It became prevalent in pop culture in every way. Music, talk, underage pregnancies, all this crazy stuff, right? Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I guess, uh, I don't know, the, what is the, to you, what's the legacy of the film? Well, I mean, to me, I noted more like a kind of an artistic legacy. As we were saying at the beginning, so many of the people involved in making this movie had really not done a whole lot before this. And this movie really launched them into right. different phases of their career. Uh, I mean, Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody, uh, as we were saying, they collaborated a couple more times. Um, Young Adult, which I just think is a fantastic film. I like a lot more than this movie even. I just absolutely love that film. I would like to watch that again. I really liked it. I bet I would probably rank that as my favorite of their collaborations also. And maybe my favorite Reitman movie overall. Yeah, I think it's probably my favorite Reitman movie as well. And then later on, uh, more recently, they made Tully, uh, also with Charlize Theron, who starred in, in Young Adult, and which I was not a huge fan of, Tully, and I sounds like you didn't like Holy it cow, is that a piece of garbage. That wow, is a okay. horrible, horrible film. Yeah. That's a movie I liked a lot about that movie. It's a movie that has a giant twist that I thought just completely ruined it. But I liked a lot of what led up to that twist in that movie. Um, and I think you can view Tully in a way as a sort of spiritual Companion sequel piece. to Juno. Yeah. I'll stick up for Tully. I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, well, a lot of people did. I mean, it was a very well-reviewed movie at the time that it came out. Was it? It was. Was it? Yes. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as you said, both Jason Reitman and Diablo Cody have had very up-and-down careers since this. I mean, Reitman really was still on an upswing after this movie. He did Up in the Air, and then he teamed up again with Diablo Cody for Young Adult. And then he made Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children. And I actually haven't seen Men, Women, and Children. Me neither. It was just horribly reviewed. And Labor Day was definitely not good. Um, And then sort of came back with Tully, which was well-reviewed, even though Mm. you and I didn't particularly care for it. 
And now he's directing a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, I don't really think it was well-reviewed. I'm just going to put that out there. But they're also teaming up for the some HBO show, right? The two oh, are of they? Them. I think like Reitman and... Because uh, she had success with United States of Terra on Showtime, right? Yeah, which was uh, an uneven right. show. Was that a Spielberg-backed situation? Oh, maybe, yeah. But um, Tony Collette, that's a great showcase for her, that show. And Diablo Cody... Other things that she's done without Jason Reitman, you mentioned Jennifer's Body, which has actually a huge cult following, but I remember thinking I it was pretty crappy. I as, as a cult film. Um, she wrote and directed a film that starred Julianne Hough, that I think is called Paradise, that I've never seen, but that was not well-reviewed. Um, so it, it does seem like, especially for her, it's like a, having a huge hit on your first album. She had trouble following it yeah, up. Yeah, and then she, what was the one she did with uh, uh, Meryl Streep? Was it Ricky and the... Oh, Ricky and the Flash, which yeah. also has a big cult following as well that Jonathan Demme directed. Yeah, I could I could go more for Ricky and the Flash. Yeah, me. I didn't care for that one either. But, I didn't see it. Um, but I mean, I do think she's an interesting enough writer and that she's done enough stuff that I have been impressed with that if she's involved in a project, I will be interested in seeing what happens with it. Well, here's something that I'd like to say about the legacy because, uh, and Dave and I talk about this a lot, is, you know, what what is a studio movie? What's a movie that you see in theaters now? Stuff like that. Pretty much every major studio backed out of financing or every studio they brought it to backed out of financing this film because they thought the the content was too edgy and, you know, oh, how can we fund a movie about an underage pregnancy, abortion, giving up adoption movie? And then it turned into this huge smash hit. Take a, take a risk. Do an awesome, cool movie make it an awesome movie year guys yeah i mean that's that's always the case i feel like movies like this get made in spite of studio reluctance and interference whenever they get made i mean that's not a surprise that that happened and continues to happen yeah yeah <laughs> um i mean our, again artistically in terms of the people involved ellen page became a huge deal after this movie. And like you were saying, she's kind of stepped back a little. She's done a lot of activism. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, her coming out became a big deal and uh, is something that she's really uh, been very outspoken about. And so she does stuff like that. Or she even her movie roles in something like Freehold, um, which was based on a true story about a gay couple trying to fight for their rights and is a very well-intentioned movie, but not like good. I liked uh, the only movie I can remember, like off the top of my head that she's in that I really liked um, was The East, uh, the Brit Marling movie. Yeah. About echo terrorism. Yes. But like, that's what I, but like, she's still acting all the time. So that's great. You know? Yeah, it's no, she, she is different path. Different right, path. right. And she is on TV. She's on the Umbrella Academy on Netflix, which I haven't watched, but has a, a pretty strong popularity to it. So that's something. Dave won't watch it because it's on Netflix. That's true. Hates Dave Netflix. hates Netflix. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Cera playing the Michael Cera character. He kept doing that. He's still doing it. <laughs> yeah. And he's still great in it. And, um, you know, I feel like that last season of Arrested Development was redemption for season four. It was much better. And, um, dude, I'm, I'm all for more Michael Cera. Yeah. And more Ellen Page. Yeah. No, I am too. And I like with Michael Cera too that, like, kind of later in his career, He's played like the dark side of that character, like in Molly's Game and uh, I think some other things too, but that's the one that, that comes to mind. But yeah, but really we mentioned like other than Jennifer Garner, who um, didn't really take off with a movie career after this. Like, yeah, no, I mean, what I was going to mention for Jennifer Garner is that she now just plays Supermom in like every role that she has. Yeah. She's always, it's like, who is 
the nice, competent mom that we can cast right. in this movie. It's Jennifer and Garner. She does commercials now, I think. She does too. those, yeah, credit card commercials right. that I'm sure make her plenty of money. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney both won Oscars for um, playing hard ass sons of bitch characters, and they're two of the top character actors around. And Bateman is a big time movie star. Is he a big time movie star? I think if you were like looking at, you know, who should we cast as a male lead in that age group in a mainstream comedy, he's always probably a top five pick. Yeah, I guess. I feel like he's maybe slowly aging out of that a little. Maybe. maybe. He does Ozark on Netflix, which is maybe right. more of his path at the moment. And that's cool. Yeah. But I mean, but then again, look at something like Game Night. Game Night turned out to be a major hit. That's true. Game Night was a big hit and was was very well reviewed. So yeah, I'm I'm not a huge Jason Bateman fan. I feel like he works when he's playing this smarmy douche. I have uh, less time for him as characters that we're supposed to like. Um, I'd like to see him do a little, you know, I've never watched Ozark. I'm sure that's a little different. But even here, he's like, you know, a very more restrained version of you know, the character that we see him play a lot. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, I would say he's, again, maybe kind of my least favorite. And then maybe that's partly because that character that's is the least character. likable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. Did you have any other legacy thoughts to add? No, I, um, you know, w- watch the movie. It's, it's worth watching as a timepiece and to see where you would fit it in in today's movie landscape. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely worth seeing. So that's Juno. That is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, you can follow us on social media. You can follow us on social media. I think media. I sounded a little hesitant about yeah, that, I'm, but it's true. I'm, I'm going to be very, you know, affirmative about that, you know? Yes. You please. can follow us on social media. I, I'm feel, a, I feel like you should do this one, like talking to the kids, like be cool in this plug. Yeah. If, hey, <laughs> you guys like the social media? Let me tell you something. I got a few socials for you to follow. Awesomemovieyear.com. That's right. It's a website, everybody. But you're saying, what if we want to connect with you on a different platform? Got you there, too. On Facebook, we're at Awesome Movie Year. On Instagram, we're at Awesome Movie Year. And, yeah, we got Twitter, too. Awesome Movie Pod. How's that for you, guy? I feel like like he just thinks that talking slower is how you talk to kids. <laughs> I have a kid. I would talk to my kid in a normal tone of voice. <laughs> there you go. But uh, And then I'm uh, Jason uh, Harris Comedy or J. Harris Comedy on all that stuff. Go for Jason.com. I am at JoshBellHatesEverything.com. Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and Signal Bleed on Twitter. Yeah. And check out our producer David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Yeah, let's how you hear how you talk to kids. I, I'm not, not, not going to fall the, for this trick here. I, just check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to this and find us on social media at PiecingPod. What's up next, Jason? Next, Josh, is, man, one of my favorite movies ever, dude. Uh, we're going to do a Sundance winner, but not the Sundance winner. We are going to do the, what was it? What it's did the, it win? the World Cinema Audience Award winner. Yeah, Sundance. so it didn't win Grand Jury, but it won uh, the World the World Award. Bigger than a grand jury, you win the whole world. So that's not what it means. Oh, okay. that's what I think it means. It's a uh, an Irish musical called Once, and uh, we're gonna have a special guest in there next week too. Yeah, Megan Reardon, actor and singer who performed in the stage production of Once, will be joining us for that episode. So tune in for that. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. 
Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. 